This is the Garden Path Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Misty Little, and today I am coming to you oh, from a hopefully snowy day eventually. <laughs> it is Sunday, January 10th, as I record this episode, and Texas is covered in snow, a good portion of it from Panhandle down to Central Texas, and just about 30 minutes away from me here in Northwest Houston. There's snow and sleet and all that fun stuff, and Instead, today, we've been dealing with rain. We have not had this system uh, slide down and bring us that snow quite yet. But hopefully the guys at Space City Weather, who I I trust and and get a lot of my weather from, they say it's supposed to slide more southeast towards Houston as evening falls, which is a little frustrating because I was hoping for some snow action during the day for my son and and for myself to get some pictures. But looks like that's going to be happening maybe in the evening hours instead. So even just 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour away, College Station, I'm up to Brenham, the Brazos River, even uh, Huntsville, everybody's getting snow. And some areas in Central Texas are having several inches of snow. And so for people who aren't really familiar with Texas and, and our snow, it's the panhandle gets snow pretty much every year they get quite a bit of of snow west texas as well some areas in the higher elevations there central texas will have a little bit of snow on occasion i would say down to like san angelo um, maybe like some parts of north texas and north texas can be weird too it can rain it can snow in northeast texas and not really be snowing in north texas which is dallas fort worth area so, and that's kind of actually a little bit what's happening today. Some areas of DFW are getting snow and some aren't. Like my parents didn't get much, but areas east of there got a lot more. It's all weird. And then everywhere south, it's just the way the system is working right now. And so hopefully we'll get some snow by the time I finish recording this episode for you guys. All right. I've been wanting to record this episode for many, many months and I'm finally buckling down and doing it. And I'm going to talk about iNaturalist today, how I use iNaturalist. And let me go back. So I had joined iNaturalist maybe in 2017, maybe even 2016. I can't recall exactly. I could probably go back and look through my my very first entry. And I wasn't fond of it. I was using it on my phone. I had an iPhone 4 at the time. And I really just didn't like having to deal with my phone. And I don't know, I wasn't into a lot of apps. I'll just say that. So I found it kind of cumbersome. And I kind of put the whole thing away for a while. What I didn't know is that the bulk of iNaturalist, the powerful part is on your computer desktop, not necessarily on the phone. So there's two components to this episode. We'll talk about the phone and, and the computer. And it wasn't until episode 4-4 with Caitlin Reeves back in, let's see when this was, October of 2018, so three years ago, almost, or I guess a little over two years ago, I guess I should say, that I really kind of took a turn for really liking iNaturalist. After that conversation with her and how much she enjoyed it, I re-dug into it, found the component of using it on my computer, and things just clicked for me. But to start, because I said two components here, I'm going to talk about the phone part first, because so many people are going to be using their phones, and I will go talk about the other part after. So you would download the app from, you know, if you have an iPhone, the App Store, Google Play Store, whomever, whatever your, your platform is on your phone, 
and you log in. You either create a you know username. Uh, most people I see <laughs> has some sort of nature-based one or some sort of screen name, but you could use whatever you wanted. And you're going to be presented with a you know a setup here, and they've got different things you can do. So you can explore, and it'll probably ask you to if you want to turn your location on. So that's up to you. I I turn my location on, and then so if you go to explore. I'm, like I said, I have an iPhone. I think from what I understand that people with Androids, that the app is actually is more, a little more powerful than the app on the iPhone from what I get. So I'm going to explain what it looks like on my, on my app. I don't know if it looks different on Androids. So on iPhone, there's explore, activity, observe me, and then a more button on the bottom. At the top, there's a search, and then there's a different way. There's like a three to little icons about how you present your data. So you have like a map, you get a view of uh, like a table kind of view of different th things that are within that map. And then you have a, like a list view of what's in that map. And then you have stats, which would go to like, I don't know, whatever, whoever's leading today in observations and species, which we'll get into that later. So maybe if I want to search around me, I'm going to go back to the map. And I can search where you are exactly. So maybe you're hiking in a park, you're at your yard, you're wherever. You can zoom in and out on, on your phone and then go to that search button. And you're like, maybe I want to search for Blue Jays. Let's just type in Blue Jays. And it drops down, find organisms named Blue Jays, find people named Blue Jays, locations named Blue Jays, project named Blue Jays. We're going to find organization <laughs> organisms named Blue Jays. Okay, nothing's been found in that area. Um, uh, that's kind of odd. I'm really surprised nobody has found a blue jay over here. Let's, let's zoom out a little bit. Oh yeah. Now, now it'll come up with different suggestions. Blue jay, seller's jay, all sorts of different jays. We're just going to have blue jays here because that's what's going to be in this area. And then it's going to populate the map with dots and it'll tell you where people have sighted blue jays in the area. Now, this is helpful if you are at a park and you're like, well, Oh, I hear it's sleeting now. I'm going to hit pause and go check out the sleeting, y'all. Okay, sleet check. It is indeed sleeting <laughs> pretty heavily. Uh, now I'm just waiting for it to turn to snow. Okay, that's my little interruption. I'm sure I'll interrupt again here soon when I hear the sleeting stop to go check and see if snow has arrived. Okay, as I was saying, so you can use this map for searching for something you want to find at a park. So say as I did in Florida last year, about this time in January, I was at a nature preserve and I wanted to find some hooded pitcher plants. And so all I did was typed in hooded pitcher plants, or I may have typed in uh, Saracenia and uh, populated. I'd, I'd actually previewed this before I <laughs> went. I knew that there were some in that park and previewed where they were and looked for the nearest uh, location. And sure enough, I was able to find a location of that plant. Now this kind of will be good and bad as you'll see some things you're going to want to obscure like pitcher plants. You probably should obscure those because you don't want them poached, but other times, you know, maybe you really just want to check out a plant and it isn't obscured and you're not a poacher. <laughs> you can obviously go and see, check iNaturalist and see where the nearest location is. A lot of a lot of sensitive plants will be obscured because most people are going to be obscuring them and that just means that they don't show up in the right place they'll show up in a quadrant within um 
within that county or wherever lo that location is. And, and then sometimes things might be rare enough, but it's a well-known area that it just, people don't obscure it. And so it's kind of what happens with the hood of pitcher plants. There's plenty over in that area. They still get poached, but not everybody obscures them. Okay. So that's the map section. And then activity just kind of shows, it'll show people who's gone through and identified things for you. I don't really use that too much on this app. Um, there's also a news thing, which will show like any kind of news from iNaturalist themselves. And then the big thing that you'll probably use for on your phone would be the observe, which is the one thing in the middle. And it's going to pop up. It'll say no photo camera or camera roll. So you can, maybe you've been hiking all day and you've been taking pictures and you want to go at the end of the day, go and log everything. You would go to your camera roll and search for, okay, let me see here. I had a, where did you go? I know I put you on my phone. I don't think I deleted you. So you just search for the photo you want, click it. You can add up to four, I believe on your phone, hit add, and it's going to create the observation and it's good. It'll go to your observation uh, screen and you'll have a thing that says, what do you see? View suggestions. I would first go to the location. It'll say no location. If, if you don't, I don't geotag any of my photos in general because I don't want them uploaded and geotagged. Like I said, because we take all sorts of rare plant pictures and animal pictures. I don't, when they're uploaded, I just want that stripped away. So I do not geotag any of my stuff anyway. So I will have to either remember where something was or put an approximate location, or sometimes I'm logging on the fly. I know exactly where I was when I saw that thing. I will go to, uh, I will just zoom to wherever that is. So when I click, when you click, this is no look no location. You're going to go put in a location. And because you've got your geolocator on for the app, it should put you wherever you're at. So I am located wherever Houston. Okay. We're just going to put it there, even though I'm putting in an orchid that does not live here. And you all have a geo privacy button. You have a captive cultivated and we're going to talk, I'll talk about that now if it's captive or cultivated. So if you're taking a picture of a violet in your yard, a viola a snapdragon, anything like that in your yard, that's potted, you want to make sure that you put captive or cultivated. You're going to put yes. So I'm going to put yes, because this is a cultivated orchid. Now, if it is a Nandina, which is known to escape cultivation and you're hiking in a park, you're not going to put that as captive or cultivated because now that's an invasive species. You want to document that. So this captive and cultivated thing, I'll get back into more, but that's something you should pay attention to because this is a problem on iNaturalist having to go back and fix those. And again, I'll touch base on that and a little bit more later. Okay. So now I'm at location. Now I'm going to see what did you see? View suggestions. Sometimes you know what it is, but like, I don't know what this work it is. Okay. Now it tells me, it'll tell you a lot of times the first, it'll either tell you a family or a genus. So it'll be like moth orchids, phalaenopsis. And it'll say your top 10 suggestions. Generally the first one to three are going to be whatever specimen you're putting in. Sometimes it's not because the app hasn't, it's, it's all doing AI and it's basing it on 
how many observations have been seen already, and particularly when it's in that particular area. So if you haven't, if there's not a ton of observations or there's not a ton of good photos, it's going to be kind of confused sometimes. And so some, I would definitely go through and look through that whole list. If you're like, those first three suggestions don't make any sense. Keep searching. It could be something else. So obviously it's a phalaenopsis orchid. I'm going to put phalaenopsis and go from there. Now you can also take a picture in here from, instead of using your camera roll. So if you're actually at your plant specifically, you can just take a picture from there and it'll geotag it right then and there. You don't have to worry about it. The next little tab is you. It says me, and it will take you to all of your observations, which means you can go through and look things up and see who has verified anything you've entered. And it's pretty simple. I think the app is a very simple tool. It's really just meant for logging things. It's not meant for socializing. Now, not that iNaturals itself is meant for socializing, but it's not like you're opening up Instagram and having conversations with people. So now when you go to iNaturals.org on your browser, you're going to get a much fuller perspective of, of how this app works. So when I'm at iNaturals.org slash home, I see my screen name and I see like home, which takes me to all the people I follow and all their updates. So I can see what people have been logging themselves. I can see what people have verified for me. And sometimes if I see people have logged some stuff and I'm like, Hey, yeah, they, they found this gray sea star. They haven't had it verified yet. I know it is a gray sea star. I'm going to go in there and verify it for them. It's kind of a, that's, this is more of the social aspect where you're seeing the people you follow, what they're doing. You can see updates on your content, people you're following, and then any re real-time discussions, which let's see if I can get the real-time discussions to load. I'm not saying what to want to load. So we'll go back to that later. Then you can go to your profile and this is where you just put in, you have you know, <laughs> your photo and it tells you a little bit about you where, where you were. Oh, Hey, here's where I joined April 6, 2016. I didn't realize it was that long ago, but yeah, I joined for a couple days and I didn't do anything with it for, you know, almost a year and a half. And then I think what's cool is you can put your favorite taxa. So any, anything that you love, <laughs> what you like to do uh, and, and explore, you can put there. And some of the things I have are long tail skippers, bald cypress, swallowtail kite, water tupelo, ruddy dagger wing, zebra long wing, uh, ghost orchid. I think I've got a few more in there. It doesn't have them all. And no, I guess that is it. I think that's kind of a cool thing. I guess it's, it gives you a little bit of slice of everybody's personality. So that's neat. And then all the people you follow. Some people don't follow anybody and some people follow like three people. I follow lots of people because I'm kind of like, <laughs> I'm like, it's, there's so many cool people learning and doing neat things. I just like to follow them. So I've got about a hundred people that I follow. It also shows how many observations you have, this number of species you've logged, identifications that you've personally done. You can also write journal posts, lists. I'm, I'm not sure what my lists are. Let's check that out because it's been a while. Oh, life list, uh, favorites, and then like you can create other lists. So I have a Lepidoptera list, like how many butterflies. It's a lifeless sort, sort of situation. And then followers. Now I follow a million people, but I've only got 12 people following me. It's not really like 
build your following sort of situation. But apparently there's 12 people who think my stuff's interesting enough to follow. So that's kind of cool. And then this is where I'm kind of annoyed. There's been a recent update in the last six or eight months on iNaturalist. Used to be just uh, you had edit observations and it took you to all of your observations, kind of in that list form that you would see on your phone. And it made it easy to, and then it alphabetized like A through Z. And then it's just a bunch of points after that. Quite a long list of backlog and to, oh yeah, a hundred. It has a hundred in that first page. So you can go through and see the last hundred that you have logged. And maybe you weren't sure on identification, but later you thought about it and you can go back and finalize that. So maybe list it at a higher order or a genus, but you're like, Oh yeah, I remember that. That was actually this species. Just it makes it easier to go and edit those. And it shows them on the map too, where your last hundred have been logged. So that kind of is helpful. Now, like I said, it used to be just edit observations. Now they have an observations one as well. And I kept tricking myself <laughs> and hitting observations. And I'm like, no, I need edit observations. When you do observations, it shows you on a big map and it has just a few on a little little sidebar showing your your latest observations. I don't particularly like going here very often because I don't really like having to zoom in on the map and click on what my last ones were. I like to see it on the other way. So I don't really look at that map too much, at least my, my personal map very often. And then there's a calendar, I think, which tells you like when you were last observing things your favorites, lists, journals. Now you can do, some people are very good at posting journals. They post and they get a following and they get, I guess, kind of comments. It's like a blog in a way. So some people may even keep it just like as a naturalist notebook. Like I went hiking here. We saw these things, the weather. Um, other people use it as, as a way of social media in a way. It's a way of socializing with other people on here, especially some of the folks who are curators. And the curators are people who really kind of know, know their stuff in, in some manner, or they're willing to put in the time kind of doing some volunteering, uh, on the side, being like a moderator sort of thing. And some of them are just people who are really involved in the iNaturals community in person, like doing a lot of groups, uh, bio blitzes, uh, Sometimes I do them for bio blitzes for certain parks or certain regions. Now there is also a yearly bio blitz that is worldwide with a lot of major cities uh, that get involved. And the goal is over like, I don't know, three or four days to see how many species and, 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 and number of identifications you can, you can do. And that's always kind of fun. And that's, I think that's where I find a lot of, a lot of fun with the community, even though I'm not meeting in person with any of these people. It's just a matter of like just seeing what people are logging. And then favorites is another thing on this tab. And so maybe you've been perusing somebody else's identifications. You're like, oh, that is super cool. It could be a plant or animal or just some weird thing that maybe it's a different morph of a different plant or whatever. And you just favorite it because you want to go back and look at it later because it's something super interesting. So I've, what do I have favorited? I've got Natchez River Rosemallow, a leopard shark, a white tubed colic root, a Georgia satyr, frosted elfin, some different butterflies, some really oh, salt marsh moth that had some funky thing going on. Uh, oak leaf 
rolling weevils. You know, just those weird things that people may be like, hey, I don't know what this is. And people are kind of stumped. So I favored it to go back to later where I just like, yeah, I think if you favorite something, you probably get updates and then you can go back to your profile. And at the top is a little text bubble, which will update you on things other people have identified for you later. And it just kind of, it that the, the little text bubble is, uh, or the thought bubble gives you what other identifications have come in. And so maybe I haven't been on a few days and then I come back and find like, okay, 20 people have gone through and identified something for me, or they verified something else I've identified for other people. And I like to go back through and see what they say, because sometimes I've been wrong and I want to go find out or just someone disagrees. And then anyway, okay. So I was actually going to jump into identifications, but I think I'm going to go into how you can upload on and observe something on your computer. So the top right, there's going to be something called upload and you can choose a file from your computer or you can import. If you click the more import options, you can import from Flickr or Facebook or etc. It says, I wonder if you can import from somewhere else. Oh, I might just go straight to from to Flickr because that's where I usually go. Um, yeah, you can import from Flickr, SoundCloud, or you can import from a CSV or an old observation form, which is, says it's deprecated. I've never done that. Never done a CSV. A CSV would be maybe you have a tab of sheets of, of um, you have a tab of coordinates and it's like a spreadsheet in a way and with your identifications in it there. You could do that, but you wouldn't have a photo, but it would be a, it would be a location that you could add. And I don't think it could become research grade. And that's kind of the goal of iNaturalist is you can have casual observations. So that would be like, you're just list You want to casually put in that you saw a wolf, but you didn't get a photo because it was so fast, but you know, you saw it at such and such place in the South Dakota, right? You could put that in there, put, put the name in, put the coordinates, but you won't have a photo and it'll be just listed as casual. That's fine. That's perfectly cool because that's just your naturalist log. And Hey, you, you know that you saw that. I don't personally usually do casual observations, but some people do. It's not really what I use all naturalists for. I like to try to <laughs> try to have the verification if I can. If I don't, I just, that's just a mental note for me. I, I, I note it's elsewhere that I saw wolves in South Dakota, but other people don't. And, or it's for like, you wanted to note your violet plants or snapdragons in your garden. That's where you would make that as a casual, even though you had a photo, you would say it's not cultivated. I mean, it is cultivated. You would say it was cultivated, which would make it casual. Now for research grade, it would be at least one person has verified that whatever you entered is correct. So you saw a wolf with a photo and a location and you identified it properly. And someone comes through and says, yes, this is a wolf. And it's research grade, which means that now somebody who is doing research on wolves can pull your data from uh, a conglomeration of all the data of wolves and be able to trust that it's accurate. And eventually, you know, other people will come in, even if it's somebody's clicked at once, somebody's going to, especially if you have a wolf, you're going to get like five other people <laughs> agreeing with you down the line. Usually you only get one other person agreeing.
But we'll move on a little bit further in a second about that research grade stuff because there's a little more information you can add to that as well. So yeah, you can import from Flickr. I'm gonna go actually do that right now. I'm gonna import a Pyroluxia that we saw at Aransas National Wildlife Refuge a few weekends ago. And it's gonna pull up your most recent photos from Flickr if that's where you're pulling from, or you can pull them from your desktop. Actually, I should have pulled them from my desktop because it will pull the low. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pull them from my desktop. Now, if I pull them from Flickr, it does not usually give me, it doesn't automatically tell me what something is. Now, if I pull them from my desktop, it usually does. So I'm going to do that instead. And also, if you pull them from your desktop, you can load multiple things at once. You don't have to do one, one by one from Flickr. Now, the good thing about Flickr I like is because I have an archive of photos there. I've gone back through and added things from 10, 15 years ago that I saw and didn't know what they were back then. A lot of really cool butterflies actually from the Keys and put them in. And I know what state park they are and I have a general idea of where they were on a trail. They're not exact locations, but they're close. And that has been cool to go back and add. And I actually, some people even put in, will scan photos and put them in. And I want to go do that because I have some things from the Galapagos from a trip I did between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college. And that would be really cool because I have some Galapagos tortoises to add. It's just, it's, you know, neat stuff to add. So you can go back through all of that is history. And all of that is, again, this data that people don't necessarily have access to. Uh, so you saw a Florida Panther in 1974 and you happen to have a photo of it. That's really valuable information. And you happen to have an idea of, of that, scan that photo, put it in. <laughs> that would be something worthwhile doing. So now I've got my Pyroluxia up. It's Cardinalis sinuatus. I put my location in. It's going to dig a, it's going to bring up a big map. And you can pin location. So if you happen to go to areas frequently, you can pin a location and, or maybe you've, you're putting in a location, putting in like 50 items from a certain location. And you don't want to have to zoom back every time, pin that location. That's what I would do. All right. So I don't want to go to Matagorda. I was at Aransas. Okay. Aransas. Now I got to zoom into the auto tour loop. Where were you? There you are. And since I don't know exactly where I was, but I have a good idea, you will drop a pen and then you can also make a circle around that area of approximate accuracy. So if you really, really know that you were right at the observation tower at Aransas National Wildlife Refuge, that's pretty easy to do. But I wasn't quite sure where we were in that, that, that auto tour drive. So I'm just going to put it right there. And then this is where you can also change your geo privacy to obscured or private. Now, if you do put it as private, that's also going to make it not research grade available because then whomever is pulling this data later, a research scientist, they're not going to know exactly where it's at. Now you can obscure it, which means it can be available to moderators in groups. So there'll be different groups for wildlife, um, maybe Texas Parks and Wildlife. They have a group for birds per se. And they want to know what well, people are recording. 
you can obscure it, but the moderators will be able to see the actual geolocation, but nobody else in that group would. So that's up to you. Depends on where you, what you're doing, what you're sharing, um, that sort of thing. So then I'm going to hit update observations and submit my one observation, the Pyroluxia. And boom, now it's in, takes me back to my edit observations page and it's there. And so that's really cool. Now I'm going to go back to that Pyroluxia and look at it a little bit closer. And I go to my, go to my particular entry and it's going to have the photo. Maybe I want to add more photos. I can, if I want to zoom in and see other people's observations, it looks like there's been, you know, a handful of, of other people who have noted them in Ranzas wildlife refuge. And then I can zoom out on the map and see where all the observations have been for that, that species. And I think that's one of the cool things is that's where you get to look at the range. You're like, Oh wow, I saw this and it's on the edge of this range. And that particular sighting is kind of on the edge of the range. It's up the coast. Typically it's further in central and west Texas. And there's a couple sightings in north and central Texas, but that's kind of the cool thing. Now let's see another observation way up here in maybe Nebraska. I'm not sure what that's about. And it, it looks like it is research grade. I'm going to click over on it. You can click on individual locations in that map and then it'll bring it up and then you can right click over the entry and open it in a new tab, which is what I do all the time. Because a lot of times you're going to be looking at a plant or an animal that's in a specific area. And if you see like sp spotty, if you see scattered mentions of it and like North Dakota <laughs> or Maine or something like that, something's going on when you know that it's out of the region, strays happen, which is this one here is a stray that I'm looking at, but it is, it's actually identified correctly, but a lot of time they're misidentified and, or they're captive. They're in a botanic garden or someone's garden. So if you see, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a, a weird plant, let's just say some sort of orchid that lives down South, but somebody has it in New York and you're just like, that doesn't make sense. Click on that it's probably in a botanic garden or their, or their personal garden, or again, they've misidentified it. They misidentified it. Just, you can identify it for them or you can, or you're not sure what it is. Just put it as plants or dicots or if it's a monocot, whatever it is, just put it as a higher, uh, listing than whatever they have suggested. Okay. So going back to my Pyroluxia page, there are annotations on the right hand side. Alive or dead, life stage, sex. So alive or dead, okay, it's definitely alive. I'm gonna click alive. You could also click cannot be determined or dead. And then life stage would be adult egg or juvenile. It's an adult. Sex, I think it's a male, but I'm not an expert on birds. I'm just gonna leave it for now and let somebody else <laughs> figure that out. And then at the bottom, if I wanted to do more, there's a data quality assessment and it's still in the needs ID stage but I've got everything else set. Everything's good. The date specified, the location specified, it has photos or sounds. That's something else you can do if you're a birder. You can upload sounds. Date is accurate. Location is accurate. Organism is wild. Now this organism is wild is where you could go in and change it to, there's a thumbs up or a thumbs down 
And so if I wanted to say thumbs down, this is a plant that's growing in someone's garden, that's where you would change it into a captive cultivated situation. Evidence of organism, that means like you actually can tell that something is there. And recent evidence of an organism. Then the last one would be has ID supported by two or more uh, people. And right now it doesn't. So it's still in the needs ID phase. Which you're going to end up having a lot of stuff needs ID, especially if you start logging odd stuff that people that only certain people are familiar with and feel comfortable identifying. You're going to find yourself uh, stuck with some needs ID stuff sometimes. It just happens. I would don't worry about it. I try to go through and identify things for people that are several years old. It just takes time. It takes people's volunteer time to go through and help support other people's work. And then now you can just keep through, keep going, adding more things through the method I just told you about either by your phone or uploading on your desktop. And what's cool about the desktop is being able to, if you've got your folder of photos on your computer, you can highlight 10 of them and it's going to automatically drag 10 separate entries. Now, yeah, let me clarify that too, because say you're trying to upload 10 photos of the same roseate spoonbill into one observation, you're going to want to add those photos after you upload the one photo. If you highlight those 10 separate roseate spoonbills, you're going to have 10 separate entries for the same, same thing. Don't do that. Just do the one, go back through later to where you want to go back to your upload page of observation. Let me go back to that so you, I can help direct you. There's an edit function. So you can edit and then browse and add more photos or your location's off. You can change your location a little bit. And you can also, maybe you forgot to obscure the location. You can do that then. There's a whole bunch of different things in that editing that you didn't do. You can also add in notes as well. Like you saw, I don't do too many notes, but some people are very interested in notes, but maybe you've got something interesting you want to share. That's where you want to go. I hope I'm not bogging you guys down here. This is kind of tedious. It is a lot to learn. And I suggest just playing around in iNatural, seeing what all the features are before you kind of get into the deep end. You can also do the explore function as well here, which is I, how I use it a lot. Sometimes I will just type in a species. So let's say Passiflora. And it'll type, it'll bring up Passiflora, uh, all the different Passifloras, passion flowers, and then some of the more, the most common ones that have been identified. So Passiflora incense is probably one of the more common ones. And that's at the top. So just some passion flowers. Now I can search for a location. So I'm going to put Texas, passion flowers in Texas. Hit go. It says zoom to all identifications in Texas. It says there's 19 species, 646 people have identified them, and there's been 2,292 observers. So I can click on the 19 species and I can see all the different passiflora species that people have entered into iNaturalist. And the most common one will be the first one. <clears throat> the most common one here is Incarnata, followed by Lutea, which is common. <laughs> and then uh, Fetida, which is more common in uh, Central and West Texas. And then it goes down from there to the least seen one. 
So some of these passiflores are native and some of them are going to be ones that are in gardens. And that's, that's it's going to include all of that. It'll include casual observations as well. So that's kind of cool. So you're like, what, what's here? I know this is a passiflora. What possible passiflora could it be? And maybe you didn't get a picture or it's just something you saw. This is a handy tool to kind of go through and just research something easy. You can also search just, I like to search just plants and maybe a state park. Uh, let's see. Inks Lake State Park. Cause that's what I did once uh, state park. I may not, I don't know if it's going to bring that up. This is how I did a lot of identifications at one point in time. I would just search the plants, <clears throat> Ink Slate State Park. Now their bounding box, it does not include all of the Ink Slate State Park. So you can redo the search in the map when you're like, okay, this actually goes a lot farther. And then I can see all the plants that have been logged within that certain area on that map that I've had it search and it'll tell me all the plants that have been logged and then I you can go through and just take a look at everything that people have, have found this is the most most common thing logged there is the lace hedgehog cactus and down to the least observed which is going to take some scrolling here so there's a bunch of observations that have only been uh, seen once, but things like uh, nasturtium officinale, watercress, velvet weed, scarlet bee blossom, felt leaf everlasting, Mexican bush sage, all sorts of different things. You could just scroll through that. That's also just a way, it's almost like a field guide of what what's an Inks Lake State Park. That is how I used to use this often to identify things. Now, when I don't know something, I just go ahead and upload it. And I use, I go back to my edit observations and here's this thing called, that I call a red algae on that main page of your observation. You have your entry of what you call it. There's a little button called compare and it brings up another window within the window and you can search through suggestions based on observations in the area. And I also use the visually similar ones because that usually gets me where I need to go, but it's a red algae. <laughs> it's a lot harder. I'm not an algae person. I may have taken marine botany once upon a time in my life, but that's been 20 years ago and I don't remember everything very well. And I'm not an expert and I'd rather just let somebody else identify it. So I, I leave that at the higher phylum of rhodophyta, the red algaes. If somebody else wants to come back and suggest something later, or maybe two years from now, I've decided I'm going to really delve into algaes and study them more. Maybe I will revisit that later. But that compare is where I do a lot of more of my deeper identifications now versus necessarily seeing what has been logged in a state park. I'd still do that sometimes, but the compare button is really pretty accurate. Even if I'm not certain on, maybe there's two plants in the same genus, two different species, but they're very similar. And I'm like, I don't know, this one's not flowering, but they have similar leaves. I didn't get great pictures, but I know it's that genus. I'll just leave it as that genus. Somebody will probably come back later, or there's a good chance I will actually revisit that site at another time of the year where I will see it blooming. I'll be able to figure it out later. Okay. So 
we're going to pretend that was a big pause there and I'm going to transition to something else, but I actually recorded this on two separate dates. The, the first part, as you remember, I talked about a sleet. Well, it is now the next day. It is January 11th as I record this and oh my goodness, we missed that snow by like, I don't know, 10 or 20 miles all day. I kept checking that radar <laughs> and you could see the blue on the radar of snow and, and we missed it. We missed it. And the hope that it was going to slide down to Houston or at least North Houston just never came to fruition. So all of Houston missed out on that. I believe parts of like North Dallas and Fort Worth also missed out on some of the of it sticking. I know some of them got some snow, but it didn't really do what it did to a large swath of central and east Texas. So disappointing. <laughs> so today, just dealing with our heartache and having cold weather and no fun at all. So with that, I'm going to transition to identifications. And this is kind of the way to give back to iNaturalist, to the community itself. And it's actually where I, I, I like to spend a lot of time just doing identifications for people going through and verifying what they've submitted. And easy way to do that is when you're on any part of the website, you go up to identify. And it's just going to pop up anything and everything that people have been recently put in. So you could start there if you wanted, but I, I don't like to do that. I like to go to something I know. So usually I go to like, there's a search par and it says species and then a place. I could just put in plants. So I'll type in plants and it'll tell you what kind of plants you want to pick from. I just go to kingdom plant a, and then I will go to my county and you can search by county. I think you can search by city or state or country if you wanted. And then I hit go. And there are, let's see. Yep. Okay. Yep. It searched through that. Now it's going to bring up whatever has recently been found under plants. And then you could just go through, you can click on that first one. And okay. So someone calls this a hawkweed. I don't think that, I think that is actually, that is oh goodness. Tratoscanthia, one of the very hairy ones. And you can either go to suggestions Okay. So it's going to pop up. Actually, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to pop up another sub window in there. It's going to have the entry, the entry and for the, for the plant, whatever, or bird or whatever you suggested, uh, you picked from. And then at the top, you'll see info, which will be the information that's suggested suggestions, plant suggestions based on whatever the person entered. I do not think this is a hawkweed. So I'm going to scroll down. You can click on taxon on that page and I'm going to, you can scroll down to if you think it's something higher order, like the sunflower astraceae family, or I think it's a tradescanthia. So I'm just going to put tradescanthia in there as the genus, click it. And then it's going to bring up all the ones in the area. So sorting by observations, I like to do visually similar because observations will usually do whatever has the most observations and it's not right. So yes, this is what I figured it was. Tradescanthia hirsutiflora. I just couldn't think of <laughs> the actual species. And then you can click on what it suggests and flip through some pictures 
and figure out what you think it is, if you think that makes sense. That's what I think it is. I'm going to select that as the taxon, and I'm going to suggest that that's what that plant is, not what this person said it was a hawkweed. Voila, I've made my recommendation that it's actually something else. Now, if I don't know what it is, but I definitely know that it's not a hawkweed, I can just put it as the family. Like I do know it's an aster family. So I can put, okay, this is an asteraceae. And, or if I don't think it's anything at all, what they suggest, but I don't know what it is, but I definitely know it's not what they're suggesting. Like they said it's a plumeria, but it's some kind of other aster, right? I'll just put plants and let somebody else who knows better come through. Just correcting the data because you want this to be accurate information. And a lot of people will get on their phones. They're not very familiar. They're just now discovering plants. They don't know um, what they're looking at. And it goes for me too. If I am in another region and I'm using my phone and I might just happen to put whatever the first suggestion is in the, that my phone tells me it is, I could be very well wrong. And especially when you're running into plants that just don't have a lot of observations, the AI is kind of wonky on that end. So just kind of give people some uh, grace, especially they don't have a lot of uh, entries because they're probably just getting started. So suggest what you think and go from there. So that's one way to do it. And they have an easy uh, toggle button. There's an arrow on each side of that little pop-out window. So you can just go through and agree. Okay, this somebody says this is beef steak plant, Perilla frutescens. Yes, I agree. So I'm gonna hit agree. And then once it spins its circle and agrees, Go to the next one. Uh, somebody says this is a legume family. Uh, probably, I don't, no, that is not a legume family. That is a, <laughs> that looks like a Rudbeckia, but it's got some funky stuff going on. So you can also just hit add ID. And I know that's an Asteraceae. So I'm gonna just put, I just typed in Aster. You can just type in a few letters and usually the search bar will bring up whatever else you're wanting to look for. That's not the legume family. That definitely looks like an aster family. So I'm going to go through and agree to that. Okay. Next one is Rubus trivialis, Southern dewberry. Go through and check for certain that it looks like it. Yes. I agree that that's what that is. So I go through and like to do all that. Now, sometimes I go through and look for specific plants. Okay. So th that Shiso, uh, she's so, uh, beefsteak plant. So, okay. I've actually done that one recently, so I probably won't have, I'll go to Texas instead of my County. Yeah. So let's do this one that has a lot more. Hold on. Let's see. Um, Japanese honeysuckle. I don't know if anybody's been through that one lately. Oh yeah. There's a ton of Japanese honeysuckle in here. Pages and pages worth of it. Okay. So that's what I like to do. Sometimes go to sp a specific plant that I know nobody's been through lately and people will agree and, and verify your observation on a one-to-one -one basis. But there's usually only certain people who go through and do certain species themselves or certain uh, genuses or families. And that those, a lot of times those are like specialists. Like there are certain people that I know are fern, uh, botanists or fern, just naturalists who know what they're talking about, they're going to always come through. They're, they're always verifying my fern observations. And if I have any questions, I can, you can also tag people in your post when you, uh, 
make an entry and you're like, I don't know, you once you start knowing who is the expert in your state or region, it's easy to kind of get to an idea of like, okay, well, I know this person's going to know what they're talking about. And, and listen, not everybody always comes back and has an answer or even has a time to answer. It's, it's all, you know, everybody's personal time. This is a completely, I think, volunteer situation. So don't get upset if somebody takes like 10 days or four months to get back to you on something. Uh, or if they don't even know what it is you're looking at because they may not know. But this is what I like to do. I like to go through like, okay, somebody hadn't been through Japanese honeysuckle for a while. I'm going to have to go through this soon. Sit down and disagree and go through, maybe put on a podcast. You're watching TV, go do some agreeing and uh, verifying of some plants for people. Uh, it's pretty almost brainless. Occasionally I make mistakes because <laughs> like three months later, somebody else will come through and say it's something else. And you're like, Oh, what was I thinking when I agreed to that? And you know, you make mistakes. You can either, you can withdraw what you agreed to, or you can just agree to whatever the other person says, because sometimes, sometimes you'll be like, Oh yeah, that's definitely that. I don't know why I thought what I thought. Or sometimes you're like, okay, this person suggested that I still don't agree with that. You could, you could leave your first suggestion identification up or you could just withdraw it and not agree. There's no reason. There's no harm in doing either one. Um, maybe if you have uh, any information that can, that you, why you think your original suggestion was more correct than the other one, you can also just reply with a comment and, and say why. It's kind of a community uh, discussion uh, forum too, because you want you want that entry to be the best entry it can be, and it may not always be because sometimes people people get on here and uh, enjoy iNaturalist for a short period of time and then forget about the app, and you could tell those people are not going to come back and fix whatever they have because they've got bad photos or um, they really needed to add up another photo in later because they didn't include as much information as possible. And that's something I would like to talk about too, is when you are taking pictures, it's, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to put your fancy pictures in, but really you want to be getting like the habit of how the, the plant grows. Like, is it growing up on, um, is it a vine or is it growing, you know, just on the ground? Is it, is it trailing along the ground? Is it a tree? You want to get that, you want to get the habitat around it too. So people can see, okay, well, if it's an oak tree and you're saying it's a post oak, but that oak is actually kind of in a wetter area, it's probably not a post oak. So you want to have that kind of information as well that people can glean from, from the photos, or you need to be able to make that notes, those notations in there too. Um, leaves, bark, flowers, not everything's always flowering. So that's fine because you have a lot of times those extra annotations in, uh, in your entry that says, okay, this is not flowering, which is fine because that's how the AI gets better. And telling you what something is, is when you have a plant photo, when you have entries from various seasons, when you've got it newly merging with the basil rosette, when you've got it blooming, when you've got it, uh, losing its bloom, going to seed, when it's just like a stalk there in the middle of winter and, you know, nothing else is there, but you know, it's that same plan. You know, that is how the data gets better. So feel free to take like five different photos of each plant because you're taking a close up of the basil rosette. You're taking a close up of the stem. 
anything that's going to help identify that plant. Not, not everything needs that level of detail, but definitely the oddball stuff helps. So yeah, I like to just go through and identify things for people. It's really kind of fun just to do all that and you can change the annotations. And uh, this is where I go through and um, if something doesn't look like it's <laughs> wild, I will make sure and note that as well because that happens quite a lot. You just want to also just, you know, make the data better. I know that's probably a little bit on the nerdier side, but honestly, I think doing the identifications has helped me just learn a lot. It's like almost like just looking at a, a field guide constantly <laughs> in a way and just seeing these plants that other people have taken photos of um, in different positions in different ways that make you think, oh, okay, I haven't seen that plant like this, but yeah, you know what? You're right. That is this plant. I didn't know it could grow this way. And, uh, yeah. And, and if you don't think, if you're not sure on anything, there's no reason to don't, you don't have to agree. You can just stand by and let it go. I sometimes like to flag them or make a comment if I'm like not sure what something is, but I'm really curious what it is. Um, that way I can kind of keep tabs on it. It's like a watch, uh, post almost you'll get an update whenever somebody else um, identifies it or there's any update to that post. So that is my rundown of iNaturalist. I know this episode is running super long. And if you want me to help you walk through it, if you have questions, feel free to um, email me the garden path podcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to me on Instagram. I uh, will gladly try to help answer some questions. There are there's a whole lot more to this website. Just go poke around. There are projects and journal posts, um, all sorts of different cool people. I'll put some of the people that I follow, uh, in the show notes for Texas and some people, uh, are just maybe interesting anyway, even if you're not in Texas because of just how cool and the naturalist stuff that they do and how well they're able to help people. And also put some of the groups that I'm part of and, the City Nature Challenge probably come up again uh, this year. I highly recommend getting involved if you can. And I'm trying to see what the date was last year. Okay, it looks like it was April 24th to the 27th last year. So I think it's around the same time every year. So look for that in late April. You'll probably get some announcements uh, popping up in your when you log in that the City Nature Challenge is coming and you can join the project and uh, anything logged within that certain radius of whatever region you're in, whatever city you're in, uh, will be counted towards that challenge. It's just kind of a fun way to, you know, do everything, do the common stuff, do the uncommon stuff. The uncommon stuff's cool because that just adds to different, your species diversity. And that's also something I want to highlight too, is when you're logging, whatever you're fine, log in, log it all. Even if you don't know what that spider is, you don't know what this uh, wheel bug is. You don't know this aphid, log it all. Take the best photos you can. If you need to take your camera and get a good photo versus your phone photo, do that. Do, um, just, just put it on there. There's no reason not to, because so much, you may not always get identified or get down identified to species because some bugs and things like that really need my microscope work done to them. And even some plants and butterflies people will quibble about because you really need to see this part. And 
that's just not available to um, the general public. But just put that data there because at least at least we know what's there. And with, you know, invasive species moving around and with habitat loss, you know, what we are logging now, we don't know what in 20 years from now, we're going to look back and say, wow, look at biodiversity that we had and look what we've lost, or maybe look what we've gained. I know a lot of people are talking about how much uh, bugs we've lost insects that we've lost in the last 20, 30 years, just by noticing how few bugs are on our windshields now. And it's that kind of data that, you know, what do we, what do we know that we are losing or what do we know that we're gaining? Okay. So I know all of that is really intensive, but like I said, if you want to reach out to me and need some guidance, feel free to, you can find me on uh, Instagram. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, but you can find me on iNaturalist. I am Oceanic Wilderness over there. If you want to follow my entries um, and to kind of get an idea of what I'm doing. And um, I hope you don't hear my son. He's going crazy now. (laughs) I've been recording way too long. So with that, thegardenpathpodcast.com for the show notes for this episode. And you can find me on Instagram at thegardenpathpodcast. I'm posting a whole lot more lately. I hope you guys will come and join me over there and share your photos and get to know a little bit more about uh, our gardens. All right. Happy New Year and happy gardening.